Well, God, as we come to you and we pray and we think about that, I can't help but think about I can't help but think about the fact that in this book that we're getting ready to study and open, the fact that you've spoken your word through Paul, you gave him the word, your spirit encouraged him, that God, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at one point or another that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so as we think about the beauty of that name, as we think about the very thing that you want to do in and through us and how you want to make us more holy and righteous to be obedient to what you have called us to do, may we be people who would understand that joy and peace and grace all come through Jesus Christ. And so we pray as we walk into this book of Philippians that you would speak to us, that your spirit would convict us, would guide us, would lead us, and would speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians. We're starting a new sermon series called Joyride. And in this series, we are going to dig in. We're going to plan on going through uh, the summer through Philippians. If you know anything about or have been here for a while, uh, almost every summer, we pick out a book of the Bible to go through. Last year, uh, we went through Ezra and Nehemiah. I don't know if you realize that. That's been a year already. <laughs> Pretty darn close. All right. We, we walked through that. Uh, and there, there are a number of things that we're, we're getting ready to go on. And, and so we've done Acts. We've done Philippians. We've done Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm trying to think. We've done a couple others, it seems like. But we're going to jump into a joyride series. Uh, and, and oftentimes, you may think about this. When I think about joyriding, I think of nothing good. And what I mean by that is when I think about going on a joyride, I think about the trouble oftentimes that happened as a result of going on a joyride as teenagers, all right? Matter of fact, I was talking to somebody, I watched a video the other day on Facebook, I had to die laughing. It was a bunch of Mustangs and Corvettes um, that obviously have a lot of power. And in this video, all right, these guys were like gunning it, they were flooring it, and they would lose control of their car. And it ended up being wrecks, all right? Massive problems. And so one day I was riding with a, a guy that, I, I was riding with a friend who we ended up riding with his buddy who had a brand new, uh, at the time it would have been a 2011 Mustang, Ford Mustang Cobra. This thing's loaded, sweet car. And I get in the backseat of the car and he's got a button on the dash and this button on the dash, he could turn on and off like the traction control. All right, and we're sitting at the stoplight in Springfield, Missouri, and he goes, I'm going to turn this off. This, this keeps me from spinning the tires, and I'm like, you know, I'm just listening to him in the back seat. The light turns green. He floors it, and as he floors it, we come flying around the corner, fishtailing, fishtails into traffic. I'm looking like out the side window, and I see the oncoming traffic. I'm like, ah, and he floors, and as he does this, he swings back to the right because of correction jumps up on the curb, sideways again, tries to overcorrect, swings it back to the side again, and I'm going back towards traffic. And I'm like, we're dead. I'm done. And then he finally gets control of it. And I, that's what I think when I think joyride, because joyride was this mentality of teenagers, whether you want to call it hilltopping, there was the old school thing of hilltopping, floored as you get to the top of the hill, see if you catch a little bit of air. You know, there were stupid things like that. When you think of joyride, sometimes that's what comes to mind. But Paul in the book of Philippians, he unpacks this idea of what it means to have joy in the Christian life regardless of 
your circumstances. See, because Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison, in jail. And this is this letter that he writes to this church that he had a relationship with. And this church started, if you know anything about the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, this church starts on Paul's second missionary journey. And in the second missionary journey, he comes into these cities of Lystra and Derby. And if you're looking in Acts chapter 16, he comes into those cities and he shares the gospel and people come to Christ. Matter of fact, there was a, a, a lady named Lydia who her family also came to Jesus Christ and they were baptized. And then later, Paul in prison is, while he's in prison, there's this earthquake. And if you remember, the earthquake happens and the gates of the, the cells were open and Paul yells out to the Philippian jailer. If you remember anything about this, he yells out, he's like, don't kill yourself. Philippian jailer is going to kill himself. He thinks all the prisoners have run away. He's like, hey, don't kill yourself. We're still here. And he shares Christ with the Philippian jailer and the Philippian jailer comes to Christ and all of his family acknowledge Jesus as their savior. And now we're down the road and Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church, the church that started as a result of Lydia and the Philippian pastor and Timothy was involved in it. And Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi while in prison and he has some great things to communicate to them. See, Paul is teaching us what it means to have joy in living despite the circumstances that you're going on day in and day out. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter one. And I don't do this very often, all right? But I wanna encourage you with this. We're actually gonna be in verses one and two. That's it, okay? We're gonna dig in and I'm gonna try and explain some things, hopefully shed light on what the gospel means and, and how we live that out day in and day out. So Philippians chapter one, verses one and two. And for those of you who know anything about this, this is just the greeting, Matter of fact, when you think about letters, I oftentimes think about letters. While I served in the Navy, I lived on letters. Because when you're out at sea, at the time we didn't have internet, at the time we didn't have Facebook, at the time we didn't have all of those things. So you thrived on getting letters from people. And there was this lost art, and I still think it's this lost art in today's culture, of letter writing. And so Paul starts off his letter with this, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And listen to what he says, because this is Paul's customary thing. He always gives a, a greeting with this, and he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, how is he going to preach for 30 minutes on two verses? All right, we're going to try and unpack this verse to help you understand why it's so important when, with Paul's greetings. Every letter Paul writes, Paul has a greeting. He has an identification saying, I, Paul, a bondservant, a lot of times, or he'll say, I, Paul, and Timothy, or he'll say things like that. And then he always says who he's writing the letter to, and then he gives a greeting, a, a message to those people, and what he's going to try and focus on, and what he wants to see, have the people uh, zoom in and see what's going on. And so here's what ends up happening. And I want you to understand this. If you remember anything else, you remember this key statement that joy comes through the grace and peace of God through Christ. 
Joy comes through the grace and peace of God through Jesus Christ. That's Paul's main point here in the first two verses. It's going to be Paul's main point throughout, really, Philippians, that joy comes not as a result of the circumstances you may find yourself in, but true joy comes when I experience and understand the grace of Jesus Christ and the peace that Christ offers regardless of the situation I'm in. True joy comes as a result of the grace and peace of God through Christ Jesus. And I want you to see this. And here's the thing. And I want to encourage our church. I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're a first-time guest with us, I want you to understand why we exist, what we want to do. Our point, our understanding of the gospel, our understanding of the Bible is that we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, are to be obedient to Jesus and carry out the mission that he gave the church from the, from the beginning. All right? And the church is about multiplication, not addition. That means we are to multiply ourselves. We are to make disciples. Another way of explaining that, that that Jesus said, hey, I want you to go and make disciples. There's a multiplication aspect that leads to a movement of the gospel across. And here's the beauty about the book of Philippians. The city of Philippi was a key city going west and a key point where the gospel proceeded from. And so there's a strategy behind what Paul did in every missionary activity that he did. Paul had a strategy and a focus. And Paul's main strategy and focus is that the gospel would go forward, that Jesus Christ would be made known, that people would understand not only who Jesus is, but learn to trust him as their Savior and Lord. Why? Because Paul acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the only way. That Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for his sins, for my sins. And if anybody understood just how bad he was, it was Paul. And so we're going to dig in. We're going to understand what's going on. But I want you to see this, that every movement of the gospel has three parts to it. Every movement has three parts to it. Number one, there are those who go, the senders. All right? They sent themselves. They were sent out by Jesus Christ. They were launched out by the church. Every movement has senders, those people who are going and taking the gospel. The truth of the matter is, if you are part of the church, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, you believe he rose again, you've been baptized, you've made that public profession of faith, then your responsibility and your role is you are sent to the world. You are a sender, and you should send. And I'll, I'll even approach it from this way. As a parent, guess what you should look at your kids as? I am sending them out to reach the world with the gospel. My grandkids, I want to raise my kids up so that my kids understand that they're going to send their kids out into the world with the gospel. So every movement has three things. Number one, they're senders. Number two, there are receivers. Those who need to hear the message, those who are, are maybe respond to the message, those who are, we're going to. Matter of fact, part of the reason we're partnering in Mexico now, and we, we have that mission trip uh, that we're, we're looking at going on, and, and we're, we're trying to do that. Look, Mexico is just the beginning. Why? Because there are people all around the world who need the gospel. So there are senders. There are receivers, those who receive the message, those who maybe don't believe it at first, but will eventually believe it, all right? And then guess what there is? There's the message. There's senders, 
there's receivers, and there's the message. All right? Every movement of the gospel revolves around those things. Senders, receivers, and the message. What is the message we take? And so we're going to unpack that today very simply with what's going on. So the first thing I want you to look at is the senders. Listen to what he says. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Who is Paul? Paul is going by his Gentile name and is writing this letter to Gentile believers in the city of Philippi. Now, Paul was also known as what? Saul. And if you jump back to Acts chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, you find out very quickly that Paul was a persecutor. He was against the church. He was violently against the church to the point where, if you remember Stephen, who gets stoned to death for his faith in Christ, Paul stood there holding the garments and approving of Stephen's death. And now the same Paul, Saul, Saul the Hebrew name, Paul the Gentile name, Paul goes by this, Paul's writing the letter to uh, the church at Philippi, and as he's doing that, you have to remember that Paul would keep in mind everything that he used to be, just like you and I keep in mind everything that we used to be. You may be somebody who says, I have no hope, I am broken, I am destitute, I struggle, I have addictions, I have problems, I have all of these things, and I want you to understand this, regardless of where you've been in the past, Jesus Christ is the perfect answer for you, regardless of what you've done. Why? Because he says, I forgive you of everything that you have ever done. He died on the cross knowing we were yet sinners. The problem with this is this, all of us like to do this, well, we classify sins, Yeah, you don't realize just how bad I am, Brian. Well, let me explain Paul. Have you gone out killing Christians lately? Paul did. Were you violently opposed to a movement that stood against the Roman government because they were obedient to Christ first and foremost? Paul did. Did you try and wrap people up or round people up and arrest those people? Paul did. So no matter how bad you may think you are, Paul is laying out a message of who he is. And he says, Paul and Timothy, we begin to understand that this man who was a violent oppressor of the Christian faith and stood and approved of stoning of Stephen is now writing a letter to the church that started as a result of him taking the gospel to a city that was a Roman city. So Paul and Timothy. Now who's Timothy? Timothy was literally, if you, if you go back and read in, in Acts chapter 16 as well, Timothy, his mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek, and he had a good reputation among the believers at Lystra and Iconium, and, and Timothy basically is adopted by Paul. Timothy begins to travel with Paul. And Timothy is raised up as a leader by Paul, and and he sees all these things. And so Paul is writing this together. Matter of fact, some people say that Timothy might have actually written it out, that Paul was speaking it, and Timothy's written it. We don't really necessarily have any proof of that, all right? But what we want you to see is this, that Paul is bringing up Timothy because of the high respect that the people at Philippi would have had for Timothy. They understood who he was. They knew his mother. And so Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. Really, Paul's writing this letter, and Timothy's acknowledged. And they acknowledge something, they say something. Paul and Timothy, what does it say? What's it called? Servants of Christ. Matter of fact, your Bible may say bond servants. 
And I want to communicate what this means because this is how it should play out in our daily life. See, servants of Christ Jesus, in other words, they were dedicated to the will and the desire of the master. They were dedicated to the will and the desire of the master. And see, here's the issue. We don't think any big deal about that word, but for the Gentile here, this word literally meant slave. And not the slave that we oftentimes think with our racial stuff, but I'm talking about the slavery that they were mastered by Jesus Christ and they were now a slave to him. A bondservant carries that reality that they were in it for the obedience and they were dedicated to the will and the desire of the master. And that's a key thing to understand in order to to experience joy regardless of circumstances, that we're obedient to the will of the master, to the desires of the master. Paul is, remember, writing it from prison. And a lot of people will say, what joy can you find in prison? And what I want you to see is this, that God uses that aspect in Paul's relationship to communicate the gospel in an even greater way. So these senders, Paul and Timothy, are bond servants to Christ, and that word literally carries a connotation of humility and servitude, humbling. See, they are Christ's slaves, bound to him as slaves to their master, but whose slavery is expressed in loving service on behalf of Christ to the Philippians. Now, here's the reality. When they kind of paint this picture, Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves of Christ Jesus, if you know anything about Paul, he always says, don't put yourself again into the yoke of slavery to sin, but be enslaved to who? Jesus Christ. Paul is laying this beautiful picture out, and what I want to ask you today is this. Are you enslaved to Jesus, or are you slave to sin? The two cannot go hand in hand. It doesn't mean you're going to be sinless once you accept Jesus, but when you walk in a blatant, disobedient, sinful act against God... You're neglecting Jesus. You have rejected Jesus. John, 1 John says this, he who claims to be without sin, the truth is not in him. All right? So there's a balance here between blatant disobedience and obedience. There's a balance here between saying, you know what, I just don't know, and walking in disobedience. What we begin to understand is I'm not righteous in and of myself. I am righteous in and of Christ. See, bond servants were born as slaves to sin, but they have been freed by Christ and now use the freedom to perform the duties of a slave. Do you get that picture? Bond servants were slaves to sin who have been bought or purchased to freedom in Christ and now use the freedom they have in Christ to be what? A slave to Jesus to perform the duties of a slave, to lovingly do this. And look at, listen to this. The great picture about this is he's trying to paint this picture that all of us, not just Paul and Timothy, 
all of us should be servants of Jesus Christ, slaves to the master, the ruler. You guys go back to the Names of God series where we talked about Jesus as our ruler. We have to understand that when he rules us, we are now the slaves or servants of him. And we do the will or the desire of the master. What is God's will? God's will is that none should perish and that all should come to eternal life in Christ Jesus. How can they hear if they have not heard the message? Or how can they respond if they have not heard the message? And Paul goes on and he says, how good are the feet of those who bring good news. The senders are a key part of a movement. Why? Because a movement is only as good as the message that's being taken by the senders. And God has called all of us to be a part of the movement that he wants to do in his church. So we begin to understand that the joy ride, joy and Jesus go hand in hand. Regardless of the circumstance I'm in, I am a bond servant to Jesus Christ and desire to do his will and his will alone. Number two, all right, remembering that joy comes through grace and the peace of God through Christ Jesus. The joy comes through the grace and peace of God through Christ Jesus. There are senders and there are receivers. And I want to unpack this just a little bit more because listen to what he says. To all the who? All the saints. Paul is laying this out. To all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Here's what we begin to understand. Philippi is a northeast town in Greece today and was a leading Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. A matter of fact, it was full of retired soldiers and known for its patriotic nationalism. Does that sound like anything? I mean, the United States of America is a patriotic nationalist country, is it not? I mean, to a certain extent, Memorial Day is a celebration of that. Fourth of July, Veterans Day, that's patriotic, national. We take pride because before baseball games or basketball games or football games, what do we do? Sing the national anthem? That's patriotic nationalism. And while there's nothing wrong with that, when patriotic nationalism supersedes the authority of Jesus Christ, we begin to struggle with this. And so Paul takes the gospel to Philippi, a key area on a movement out west as he's wanting to travel farther to Spain, if you read the book of Acts, and he goes into this area and the gospel begins to spread from there. It's a key point. It's a strategic point. And he lays it out. And Paul, as well as the believers, faced resistance to the acknowledgement that Jesus was the king of the world. Here's why. Because who ruled? The Greco leaders. The kings of that time are the ones who ruled. And so the patriotic nationalism also led to Greco-Roman, if you'll know anything about this, Greek mythology and the belief in their gods. And so Paul has taken the gospel to an area where that's what they would believe And it was a strategic point to get the gospel to the rest of the world. And so here's what ends up happening. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. What does the word saint mean? And it's not maybe the way you think. We were kind of joking around the other day. I was meeting with some pastors and and there was a joke going on and you know, in in the Catholic church, you have to perform two miracles and then you're, you're identified as a saint. All right. All right, I, I don't have that chance, all right? I haven't performed any miracles. I haven't raised anybody from the dead. You know, I didn't, I'm walking on water. You know, Mary didn't show up in my pancake. 
whatever it is, all right? So listen to me on this part, okay? He's not talking about that. When he says saints, it carries this idea of people who are set apart. A saint is somebody who has been set apart, who has made righteous and holy through Christ, not by anything they did, but through Christ. And so he's saying, hey, all of these people who put their faith and trust in the new covenant, the new covenant being the blood of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, they are saints as a result of what Christ did for them, not what they did for Christ. They are people who are holy and set apart from the world and to Jesus Christ. You get that picture? Because this is a key thing you have to begin to understand. A true Christian is somebody who is holy and righteous. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation is what 1 Peter says. And you are set apart. You are different. There is something different about you from everybody else. And the problem is too many in the church want to have all of the world in it and just a little bit of Jesus. And that's not being set apart. And so what Paul begins to say is this, I'm writing this letter as a bondservant of Christ who only serves Christ first and foremost so that in everything Christ would be exalted to the saints in Philippi. I want you to understand being set apart and receiving the joy That surpasses everything as a result of what Christ does first and foremost in you. See, in our life, a lot of times we go, well, man, if I just had more joy. Do you know where you get the joy from? You get it from Jesus Christ. How does a person who's in prison, in in prison, not because he did something wrong, but because he's standing on the gospel. How does a person who is in prison receive joy unless they are in Christ? He's not going to have any joy because he's in prison for what he believes. Oh, yes, he is. He's going to have all the joy because he's in Christ, because he knows that's where he's supposed to be. And the great thing about it is God uses where he's at to reach people with the gospel. Paul, in prison on his second missionary journey, leads the Philippian jailer to Christ. And as a result, the Philippian jailer's entire family comes to Christ. And I think there's something to be learned here. Matter of fact, there's statistics out. They talked about this. I I, I can't remember exactly where I read it, so I'd have to look it up and let you know. But if you reach the children, and this is one of those things, I mean, I grew up in a church with the bus ministry. You reach the children, your chances of reaching mom and dad are like 7%. You reach the mom, your chance of reaching dad's like 30%. You reach the dad, your chance of reaching the mom and the kids, 93%. Problem is the church went after the wrong people. We thought if we get the kids, the parents will come. No, it's called glorified babysitting. You get the dad, guess what you got? And that's a challenge. I would even challenge you today, men. The reason we need men to be leaders within the church is because men can reach men. Men can reach men. They can speak the truth to men. They can relate to men a lot better than women can. Because at last I checked, every husband I know is confused. And I'm not meaning that in a negative way, all right? Because we always sit there and go, I thought you wanted me to fix this. No, I just wanted you to listen. What? Men reach men because we relate to each other best. 
So learn from this aspect that we are set apart. We are to live as individuals who belong to Christ and forever identified with Christ. You know, we were joking around earlier out in the hallway and we were talking about tattoos, of which I have none. And I spent four years in the Navy and guys used to say, how come you don't give a ta- get a tattoo? And I'm like, I can't think of a single thing I want on my body for the rest of my life. Honestly, can't, all right? But I think about this, forever identified as a Christian. Maybe that's what we should do. Let's get a tattoo. And then that way you'll know everybody who identifies as a Christian. No, that's not right, is it? Because somebody could go get the tattoo and not live the life out. The way you're identified as a Christian is when you're obedient to the commands of the gospel. Jesus says, people will know you by your fruit. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. So he's laying this out to all the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Now, I know we're in a Baptist church and I know how Baptist polity is, all right? So hold on for just a second because overseer is also the term elder and is also the term pastor. Pastor, elder, and overseer are all the same. And so Paul and Timothy are addressing this issue to not just the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, but also together with the overseers and deacons so that the overseers, the shepherds who look after the people who take care of the flock will begin to function in a proper way that they will learn to take care of the people as well. See, Paul is addressing the overseers and deacons. The leaders within any church are the pastors and deacons. And pastors are the lead shepherds under Jesus' authority, and deacons are the lead servants under Jesus and the authority of the elders. You get that picture, right? Because in the Baptist church, here's what we did. We made people who weren't called to be elders, but deacons, elders. That's why you have churches called deacons, deacon-led churches. Well, we got to go to the deacons and get their approval. Right. That's not biblical. Why? Because a deacon is a servant. Go to Acts chapter 6. Deacons serve. They don't lead in the decision-making. Elders and pastors lead. Elders, pastors, same term, so don't get caught up on the elders. Pastors lead. Deacons serve. Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can check it out. There's a role and a responsibility there. When done effectively, there is balance, there is accountability, and there's explosion. When not done effectively, somebody gains power who was never called to be a pastor or elder, and as a result, they hold control of a church. Seen it, grew up in it. When deacons controlled the church, they have usurped the authority that God gave them in the first place. All right? So I want to understand this. This is not an authority grab. This is a biblical understanding because deacons were servants. Matter of fact, if you wanted to get into the the, the Greek side of it, for those of you who don't know, episkopos, of which we get our Episcopal stuff that comes from, episkopos is the word used for elder and pastor, and their role is to care for God's church, to hold the primary leadership role in the local church, to care for the people in administration, hospitality, pastoral care, and discipleship. Deacons, also called diakonos or diakonos, a deacon, is someone who serves. It's a servant. That's why if you jump to Hebrews chapter 13, 
you'll see something that Paul brought up not too long ago about a deaconess. Now, hold on a second. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're talking about women deacons. Yeah, if, if, how many women serve in the church? What, okay, ladies who work in the children's ministry, would you stand up at all? Anybody helps? Yep, all right, guess what? By a biblical term or sense, you are a deacon. Even though we have not ordained you, I'm not trying to, we're not going to that, you are a deacon because a deacon serves. A deacon deeks. All right, but listen to me. The proper role of all of this is played out under the authority of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And so we begin to see there's the senders and there's the receivers. And Paul, and, Paul is addressing this thing. And the last thing, we're going to unplug or, or, or tap into this. The last thing is the message. Listen to what he says, the message or the greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Grace. Grace, by definition, is unmerited, undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. Matter of fact, I, I wrote it down as this. Unmerited favor of God given to undeserving sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right? So the grace that is given by Jesus Christ is unmerited. It's given freely to undeserving sinners. In other words, I don't deserve it, but I get it. I received it. And you may be the reception, or you may have received things like that, but to understand what takes place, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in the foremost, is the foremost message in the gospel. And when I look at that and I see that, that's the grace of God, that where I could not pay the price because I could not die on the cross and rise again, Jesus paid the price because Jesus died on the cross, bearing the weight of my sins, bearing the weight of my shame, bearing all of that, and then rising again, defeating sin and defeating death. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of grace. And so we see the senders, we see the receivers, and we see the message, a message of grace. See, the gospel must be first and foremost on our minds daily. And here's the reality. A lot of times we think, well, I've already made that decision. I don't need to hear the gospel. When the truth of the matter is, you should preach the gospel to yourself daily because there's a problem. There's a point in time where somewhere along the line, there's a disconnect. And here's what we begin to do. Well, thank God I'm not as bad as that person. <laughs> you are that person. Your sins may be different from their sins, but you are that person. Grace is undeserved unmerited favor of God given to undeserving sinners. So he lays out this beautiful picture of the gospel in a very simple way. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the grace of God is what saved us. The grace of God is what gets us through. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to, you could flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read this just real quickly because Paul understood grace. Listen to what he says in chapter 1 verse 12. First Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Remember, bond servant of Christ, even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along 
with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves a full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul is talking about this unmerited favor in a way that we should all relate to because the grace of God is something you and I don't deserve, but he freely gives. So the message revolves around the grace of Jesus Christ from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then number two, peace. And I love this. Grace and peace go hand in hand. If you have never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, you cannot experience true peace that is offered. Why? Because the result of God's grace is peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all you old school Baptists. Grace that is greater than all my sins. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse, huh? Within. Grace leads to peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because now I realize that I don't have to work for it. There is nothing I can do to, res- to achieve it. There is nothing on my plate that I can pay for it or, or anything like that, but I can experience peace. Why? Peace for the future. Peace for the fact that I know whatever I go through, whatever situation I'm in, whatever circumstance I face, that Jesus Christ is right there with me. His grace is sufficient and his peace will help me overcome every circumstance and situation I face. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul's simple introduction, I believe, points us to an understanding of the gospel message. It is the start of a letter, a friendship letter that acknowledges the partnership of the church with Paul and his missionary journeys. Matter of fact, as you're going to go through this, you're going to see more and more how Paul talks about joy and rejoicing and being glad. Yet the reality is this, there's a reason why he has that joy. And the reason is this, because of the partnership that the church at Philippi had with him in the gospel. With the good news of Jesus Christ, the partnership that takes place See, Paul was in prison and they sent him food and money and stuff like that to take care of him. It's not like we consider prison. You know, he wasn't in the Jackson County Jail, all right? It was was a different setup. It was like homebound prison. They had guards. They had literal prisons where we see in, in, in Acts chapter 16. But when he was in prison, he was homebound for the most part. He was under house watch, house arrest. He wasn't allowed to go out into the streets and proclaim the gospel and things like that. So instead, what he would do? Oh, hey, guess what? Hey, you're a Roman soldier. Come here, buddy. You know, it's like, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity I'm given. Whether in chains or not, I'm going to preach the gospel is what Paul says. And so there are three lessons for living that I want us to see just real quickly that we're going to wrap up. Number one, the source of joy is knowing Jesus as our Savior. 
The source of joy is knowing Jesus as my Savior. You want to experience joy? You want to experience peace? The only way you're going to experience joy and peace is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because there's always going to be doubts. There's always going to be struggles. You're going to wonder about the future. You're going to be wondering about eternity. You're going to wonder, why can't you get peace in difficult situations? The reality is this. You can never receive peace in difficult situations when you are apart from Christ. Why? Because Christ offers peace. Nothing else offer peace, offers peace. So the source of joy is knowing Jesus is our Savior. Number two, God works. We're going to see this out throughout this, that God works in extending his kingdom in many situations, even in difficult ones. Paul writes this letter from prison, and he's planning on, and the hope is that this is going to extend the gospel even further. He's going to call the people of Philippi out to say, hey, this is what you need to do. And number three, lesson for living, grace stirs us. That should be what pushes us, what propels us out into the society, into culture with the gospel. And peace steadies us so that when we take the gospel out, that peace that surpasses all understanding is my firm foundation. Why? Because I can have peace that I know that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. He's not going to leave me high and dry. He's not going to neglect me. He's not going to walk out, but he's going to stand by you, ready to go, ready to offer you peace regardless of what you face. That's the hope that Philippians offers. And so I know it took me a little bit to unpack verses one and two. I promise I'm not going to do that all the time. I'm not going to make it a a, a three-year walk through the book of Philippians. But I do want to give you this. If you are on Facebook or you can go to YouTube this week on the Church at Three Trails Facebook page, I uploaded a video. And this video is done by the Bible Project. It's a simple, I didn't show it today because it's nine minutes long. All right, but it's a simple introduction to explain the book of Philippians in a very visual and understanding way. And I would just say, go and watch it. Nine minutes, watch the video. And here's what I'm asking you to do over the summer, that you read the book of Philippians at least once every week. So as we're going through, as we're digging in, as we're getting it explained to us, as we begin to study, and a matter of fact, I would read it once a week and start to study it on your own so that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can begin to change your life and begin to see what he wants to teach you and what he wants to teach me through the book of Philippians. So make that deal, make that commitment, grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we know that the key to life in Christ here in our Philippi, here in Independence, lies first in our experience of grace and peace from God through Jesus Christ. And so God, before we can be senders, before we are the person or people that are sent out, God, we have to experience your grace first and foremost. And so today, if there is anybody here who has never acknowledged Jesus as their Savior, maybe they've never been baptized and followed in obedience and acknowledging, maybe they've acknowledged their belief, but they've never been baptized. God, I pray today that you would nail that down, that you would convict them, that you would say, hey, you need to make a decision to follow me to commit to me, to experience my grace, to understand that I have died on the cross for your sins, that you can have your, you put your faith and trust in me that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So today where you're at, maybe that's you. Maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. And just simply as we close with this song, 
If you have any questions, you want to nail that down, you want to talk about it, I'm going to be up here at the front. I'm just going to be on this, the front pew. And you want to accept Jesus. You want to acknowledge him as your savior. There's nothing magical about what I, what I say, but I want, to, I want to talk with you about it. Because receivers become senders. Father, we thank you for Jesus' sacrifice, for his death, burial, and resurrection, which offer us life, which bring us peace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.